This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 146 for June 2020, with Kofi Edu Bowen on the attributes of God. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 146 for June 2020 with Kofi Edubohan. Kofi is an interim leader at Redeemer Bible Fellowship in Medford, Oregon. He returns to the podcast for this episode for a discussion on the attributes of God. The topic is much bigger than can be discussed in one hour, so it's our hope that this discussion will inspire people to dive into a deeper study of the subject. To get you started, check out the show notes for the discussion. We'll have an outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures referenced during the show, additional resources that you can use for your own study, and there are several, as well as related episodes. You can find that at echozoe.com slash 146. With that, here's my discussion with Kofi. Kofi, it has been uh, a little over a year, but great to have you back. Great to be back. Great to be back. Always a good time on Echo Zoe. <laughs> well, I, I thank you for... Um, Coming back again, and um, one thing I like about you as a guest is you're one of those guys that um, sometimes I can I can say I don't only not only want a guest but bring a topic with you, and I think this one I actually came up with, but but I I think I've gotten to know you well enough that I knew it was going to be a good fit. Oh yeah, I mean, my, there's always something right around in my brain, but you know, um, this is I mean, I just love the idea of how this podcast works in general. Just we take a topic. And we just talk about it. Like, yeah. you know, not much creativity required. <laughs> I'm not very creative, so that always helps. But always a great time. Always a great time. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're telling me. 146. This is episode 146. Not, I haven't had one yet that I didn't thoroughly enjoy. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, so we're talking about the attributes of God this week or this month. Sorry. Um, I think a great place to start would be... Um, Obviously, why why would we study the attributes of God? What's the importance of it? What's the thrill? What's you know? What's the reasoning behind studying the attributes of God? Well, I think you know when we talk about God as He is, you know, for the people of God, that's the highest thing we can think about. That's the you know that's the goal of our whole lives is to know God and to be able to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, as the old catechism says. Mm-hmm. You know, in John chapter 17, you know, Jesus prays. I'm just trying to turn there, my Bible. John chapter 17, you know, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he is, you know, praying for, you know, his disciples, both those immediately and those who would believe on him as they preached him. And in John 17, 3, Jesus says that this is eternal life, that they, the ones whom the Father had given him, verse 2, that they may know you, 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus prayed that we, his people, would know the one true God. And so we can never be tired of discussing the, you know, perfections of God. For a number of reasons, I prefer perfections to attributes personally, mm-hmm. but I, don't, I also don't die on that hill. So, <laughs> um, But, you know, talking about the attributes or the perfections of God, you know, we can never get tired of discussing those issues because that's what we're created for. We're created to get to know God. And here's the beauty of it for, you know, as much as we try in this life to wrap our hands around the knowledge of God, we're going to have all of eternity Mm -hmm. to still dig into the depths and get to know God. But the beauty is we get to start that now. And even then probably never even really scratch the surface. Oh, never even scratch the surface, not even close, you know, but we get to start that pursuit in the here and now. And Mm -hmm. that's why I really enjoyed talking about the attributes of God. Cool. Well, I threw it out thinking it would be a good fit for you. And I was, uh, I, I really, I had actually enjoyed your response. You're like all over it. You're like excited. Yeah, let's do it. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then you'd suggested, so we're going to kind of use, I didn't read the book, but we're going to kind of use A.W. Pink's um, The Attributes of God as uh, kind of the backdrop of discussion today. And uh, all I've got, I just have the, the very extensive table of contents. He's got 45 Oops chapters here now the book i do plan to actually read it um at some point soon Mm -hmm. and for those listening who might also want to read it if you've got any kind of device that will do ebooks we found this on monergism you can get a free copy of the book and if you check out the show notes at equizoi.com slash 146 Scroll down to the additional resources. It'll be the first one on the list. It says AW Pink free ebook, and it's got all the major formats plus HTML. So if you just got a, a laptop or a, you know, some kind of computer that you can read on, you don't have a, a Kindle or a Nook or an iPad or, or a phone or any of that other stuff, you just, but you got a screen, you can read it too. Absolutely. Which is cool. I love that site. I wish that I had the time to really plummets depths because there's so much awesome stuff there yeah yeah i have just a fun story when i was in college um oh well not even college i just remembered i'm speaking it to a u.s audience mostly um <laughs> so what in the uk we, we, we echo zoe yeah. has a international audience okay this we is do. true this we is try true. to recognize our international brethren okay so but, yes, so our, but you listen, speak yeah. british english right this is true. Um, <laughs> and I speak American English. If you guys can call that English. <laughs> <laughs> I speak American. I... <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, I shouldn't say that too much. I married an American, so I should be careful with that. But um, when I was well, in the UK, we call college, which is the last two years of high school over here. Um, you know, I'm new to reform theology. I'm a broke A-level student. I don't have that much money. Um, Monogism was kind of where I read everything. And mm-hmm. so I'd literally, like, I had like a extra binder and I would print off Monogism <laughs> off. And then like, I had a 40 minute bus ride to school and 40 minutes back every day. Oh, wow. And I, I would just sit at the back of the bus with my binder, which you can get away with people just think, oh, he's studying. And I was studying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I'm just reading articles and stuff that Monogism puts out. Absolutely love this site. 
absolutely well then it. it's it hasn't i mean the site itself has been out longer than the book side of things but sure. again i i see the i think i must follow him on twitter because every so often i see stuff pop up saying such and such a book now available for free it's uh-huh. a, a lot of a lot of free stuff there and anything that's old enough that it's in the public domain for certain is probably up there yep yeah, they do a great job with that. And newer stuff too that that maybe isn't public domain, but they've gotten the permissions to put it mm-hmm. up. So they've they've got a lot of stuff. But and then I'll have other stuff. You've got a you gave me before we started a list of resources. So we'll have a a nice list. I've got a few, and then you gave me a few more um, list of additional resources for this uh, topic. So great for like a Wednesday night Bible study or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Uh, so we've got a handful and there's going to be so much to talk about. We, we just picked like five out of 45. Yeah. Some, uh, yeah. Like so uh, we're going to just, we'll just talk about a few different of the, the attributes of God's or the perfections as you put it. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to, we're, I'm going to go with the ones that you had expressed beforehand that you want to be absolutely sure we talk about. We'll start with those uh-huh. two. So one of the first one that you mentioned was the immutability of God. That's uh-huh. kind of a lesser discussed attribute. Yep. Yep. You know, in recent years, this is so for a long time, it's not been discussed. Um, but now it's coming back again um, for a number of reasons. I mean, we've had movements like, um, you know, process theology, open theism, those kinds of movements, which, more have to do with God's omniscience. Mm-hmm. But well, one thing you come to discover when you start studying all the attributes of God is that they're all interconnected. And so if you start attacking one attribute of God, very quickly you have to start denying a bunch of other ones. Mm-hmm. And immutability, simply put, is the Bible teaching that God does not change. That there is no changing God, that as James puts it, you know, there is no variability due to wavering. I think it's James chapter one where James says that. Okay. It's like God always remains the same. And when you start to think about that, actually, that has great comfort for the Christian. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's very comforting for the Christian. And yet it's one we don't often think about enough. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I wanted to kind of start there. Just that reality of, well, if God doesn't change, well, what are the implications of that for, you know, our Christian lives? So, yeah, that, so immutability is simply the um, idea that, you know, God doesn't change, as A.W. Pink puts it, just pulled up on my screen here, um, that God is perpetually the same, subject to no change in his being, attributes, or determinations. Therefore, God is compared to a rock, and he cites uh, Deuteronomy 32.4, which remains immovable when the entire ocean surrounding it is continually in a fluctuating state. Even so, though all creatures are subject to change, God is immutable. Because God has no beginning or end, he can know no change. He is everlastingly the father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of term. James 1.17. So when we talk about God's immutability, is the fact that he doesn't change either in his being or in his attributes or even in what he determines. Mm-hmm. So even when God has, you know, made it, and we'll talk about the decrees of God later on, um, even when God decrees something, that's it. 
It's not that, okay, he said this today, but he may change his mind. You know, you kind of see this in paganism. You know, some of the gods of paganism down through the centuries. You know, the gods may do this today, but if they're irritated enough, they might do this tomorrow. You don't get that with God. You just get perfect consistency. Well, and, and that's, that's what we talk about when yeah, we talk about the immutability of God. I, I'm thinking about like Islam and how Allah is uh, is is definitely you know it's it's important when you're talking about Islam to understand that just because they are um, monotheists, that doesn't mean that their monotheistic God is the same as our monotheistic God. And mm-hmm, I think this is mm-hmm. one example where Allah is is described as being capricious. I mean, he does mm-hmm. just as you said. He he might say one thing one day, but and then another thing another day, and you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And where's the comfort in that? Like you said, your comfort. There's so much comfort in that, knowing that God made a promise at a certain time to a certain people, and we're in on some of those promises, and that He's unchanging. So we know mm-hmm. that 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 promise isn't going to change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, Pink in his chapter on this, you know, kind of mentions a number of ways in which, you know, God is immutable. He mentions three. He says, firstly, that God is immutable in his essence. Um, As he says, his nature and being are infinite and so subject to no mutations. There was never a time when he was not. There will never come a time when he shall cease to be, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, there are religions out there that say that there was a time where God wasn't, you know, um, Mormonism says that, you know, once upon a time, you just had, you know, God who was kind of a good man who was really, really good. I'm kind of oversimplifying of course, but, and because of his you know perpetual being a good guy, just kept, you know, rising and rising and rising up the ranks. And then he became a God. Um, but, and, that's not the real con- biblical conception of God at all. God didn't become a God. He has always been. Mm-hmm. Um, or like I said, we just talked about, you know, well, ideas you, like, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you had mentioned no beginning and no end. And and that is part of why he's immutable is because he has no beginning and no end. Mm-hmm. I think it's even deeper than that when you got to think, I mean, it's sometimes it's hard to grasp logically where God even stands in relation to time and the, t- the, the, the timeline and, and that we are stuck on a timeline. We are within time forever. Will be, we have a beginning. Mm-hmm. We might, we, we have no end one way or another. We will be with him forever, or we will be in hell forever one way or the other. We have no end, but we do have a beginning. And mm-hmm. all along that time, we are stuck within, we, we have a clock that ticks. We will uh-huh. always have a clock that ticks, but, Ju- but, but, but God is outside of that. He has no clock uh-huh. and, and it's hard for our minds to grasp. What does that mean? But it's, it's not just that he has no beginning and no end, but he has no time in, at all. Uh-huh. And, and that would require just logically speaking, it would require that he would be unchanging. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and again, kind of, because for each of these, I do want to take a moment and kind of think about the practical value of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in terms of immutability, I think the first thing it gives us is that reality of comfort. You know, Pink says it in one statement. I love it. He says, human nature cannot be relied upon, but God can. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, think about it. Just how many times 
in a day you change your mind about something <laughs> where you think, yeah, I was going to do this, but I'm going to do this instead. Or you forget something or you, you know, you generally try to do something and yet you're unable to. But if God doesn't change, I remember all the attributes of God are connected. So he's always powerful. He's always loving for the believer. That's comfort because like I can always rely on him. It's not like I got this, no, I got God in this mood today and I might get him in another mood tomorrow. You know, we didn't, you know, Pink doesn't deal with God's impassibility, but, you know, that's another one of those lesser known attributes. The fact that God is, you know, as the creed says, without parts or passions. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to catch God in a bad mood today and then he might be better tomorrow and that kind of fluctuation. No, it's comforting. He's just there. Um there's also encouragement for us as we pray. Um, so one of the resources I recommended was Charnock's um, Existence and Attributes of God. And granted, that itself is a deep dive. It's a huge book. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charnock says this in that book. He says, what comfort would it be to pray to a God like, to pray to a God that, like the chameleon, changed color every moment? Who would put up a petition to an earthly prince that was so mutable as to grant a petition one day and deny it another, end quote. When we come to the place of prayer, like often you hear people say, if God is sovereign, then why should I pray? Mm. And my response to that question is, if why God is you? not sovereign, why would you bother? Right, exactly. <laughs> it's precisely because God is sovereign that, you know, I'm encouraged to pray. Because like, yes. This God, yes, we're kind of deviating off into the sovereignty of God, but in terms of his immutability, this God does not change. If he has decreed that he will answer my prayer, then I can go with full confidence when I pray, Um, which is really important. And I think finally, in terms of evangelism, and this is an interesting one that uh, A.W. Pink brings out, in terms of evangelistic value, I got, in fact, let me just read him. I'm, I'm trying to summarize him, but let me just read it. He says, Here is terror for the wicked. Those who defy him, break his laws, have no concern for his glory, but live their lives as though he did not exist, must not suppose that when at the last they cry to him for mercy, he will alter his will and rescind his awful threatenings. God will not deny himself to gratify their lusts, for God is holy, unchangingly so. Therefore, God hates sin, eternally hates it. Hence, the eternality of the punishment of all those who die in their sins. I think when we talk to people about the gospel and we talk about the danger that all man sits in because of his you know, willful rejection of God, if you decide that I am not going to um, listen to God, if I am going to reject God, it's not as though, well, okay, I keep rejecting God, I keep rejecting God, I keep rejecting God. You know, God's just so nice that you know, when I finally appear before him on that day, he's like, oh, you weren't that bad. It's like, no, actually, remember that the God that you're rejecting now is the same one that you're going to meet on that final day. And I think it adds some, you know, some teeth, as it were, to our evangelism. Yeah. That we're dealing with a God who is indeed immutable. And you started down the three different uh sides to his immutability and you mm-hmm. mentioned essence but we didn't get to the other two 
what were the oh right okay so he's immutable in his essence immutable in his attributes and immutable in his counsel so immutable in his essence in his nature as it is in his attributes that which we um, we come to know of God as He reveals Himself, and immutable in His counsel, that His will never changes. Awesome, cool. Um, I guess looking at the the clock and thinking, yeah, maybe five was a good number because uh, we're coming up on uh, nineteen minutes in already. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the immutability of God. Next up, mm-hmm. let's talk about the solitariness of God. Mm-hmm. Another one that you said is not, not often discussed. Yeah. You know, the solitariness of God, the idea that God is in a class of his own, that he has no equal and that he is the only true God. Um, again, we live in a culture that struggles with that. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's, you know, religions that are, explicitly polytheistic um again i i don't mean to sound like i'm picking on mormons but their doctrine of god (laughs) is just so all over the place that you start hitting these and it hits them unfortunately um the bible doesn't teach you know that there are multiple gods out there yes we may worship um heavenly fathers they would say but no the bible teaches god is one that he is by himself you know isaiah 40 through 48 alone does death to the idea that there are multiple gods out there because god says time and time and time and time and time again i am god there is no other i am god um there is none beside me i am god i alone i i i god speaks of himself as a being by himself mm-hmm. um yeah mormonism and, has to play fast and loose with that you really do um but you know before we pick on them too tough i mean there are evangelical ways to kind of toy with this idea i mean uh-huh. how many times have, um have we heard people say stuff like you know god was lonely and so he created man uh-huh. you know god needed fellowship and so he created man in his image so That's that so he ridiculous. could have fellowship it's so ridiculous it, it, yeah it's incredibly ridiculous so, so i mean there's just enough of god that. within the trinity there's there would never ever be loneliness well, again, I think that's where some of the great conversations that have been had in recent years um, about the Trinity and the importance of the Trinity. Um, I don't think I gave you this resource, but it just came to mind. Uh, Fred Saunders, who teaches at Biola University, wrote an amazing book called The Deep Things of God. And his contention in the book is that our understanding of the Trinity affects everything. Um mm-hmm. And one of the things that it affects is our view of God's self-satisfaction within himself. So, no, God did not create man because he was lonely and he needed somebody to love. God has always had someone to love. It's called himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have have eternally coexisted in a wonderful, beautiful love relationship. That's what the Bible can say, that God is love. Mm -hmm. So it's not that well, God was lonely and he needed something. No, God has always had himself. Like, that's why we can say that, you know, God is one, that he is solitary in that sense. You know, Pink puts it as like this. He says, God was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. 
that he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside himself, determined by nothing but his own good pleasure, for he worketh all things after the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. Mm-hmm. And, and I would add that the purpose would be for his glory. For his glory, absolutely, absolutely. You know, God has never felt constraints from outside of him right. to do anything. It's not as that, you know, God says, oh, shoot, I just saw this situation unfold. We need to act now before it, you know, all falls apart. No, that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way it works is God, out of his own free and sovereign and loving purpose, decides to act, and he consults no one but himself. You know, that's Paul's point in Romans chapter 11. The, you know, he says who has been his counselor, who was first given to him, that it should be given back to him again. Like, when we talk about the solitariness of God, that we are, you know, we are dealing with a God who is himself perfectly self-satisfied. And that's why he can be worthy of worship, because he needs nobody to help him. He needs nobody to be his equal. If there were an equal to him, then there'll be somebody else who's worthy of worship. But the reality that he is solitary, that he is by himself, that he is in a league of his own, and that's putting it so mildly, mm-hmm. you know, that reality fuels our worship because there is nobody else who is worthy of that worship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then we've got another huge one would be the sovereignty of God. You kind of brought that up already. Mm-hmm. But then again, like you said, these attributes all kind of work together. If you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and, you know, we talk about the sovereignty of God. I know in our general theological part of the neighborhood, as it were, you know, this is a doctrine we talk about a great deal. Um, you know, Spurgeon said, "Quote: There is no attribute more comforting to God's children than that of God's sovereignty." Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children are more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God, and his rights to sit upon that throne. You know, Often we think about the sovereignty of God and the temptation, often from people who don't hold to the doctrine, but sometimes I think we can fall into thinking about this, is, again, all these attributes are connected. So we end up thinking, okay, the sovereignty of God is disconnected from the love of God, mm-hmm. is disconnected from the grace of God, is disconnected from all the other attributes of God. Yes, the Bible speaks about God's attributes in very, you know, plain terms. So something just turn there, Isaiah chapter 46, you know, in Isaiah 46, you know, God says, remember the former things long past for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. So there's that language again about the solitariness of God. Mm -hmm. Declaring the, verse 10, the end from the beginning, 
And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You know, we look at that passages like that or Daniel 435 that, you know, he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and none can stay his hand, none can hold his hand. Um, you know, we read these passages and we have to remember that for the people of God, that shouldn't terrify us. That should, again, it should be a comfort for us. Right. You know, Ephesians 1.11, that, you know, he is working all things. You know, uh, it's one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 1.11, that he's working all things after the counsel of his own will. Mm-hmm. That God is ensuring that all things, even the tough times that we go through, even the frustrations that we go through, you know, I've had to remind myself a lot of this just coming out of a very frustrating season for quite some time. That no, God in his sovereignty determined that I should go through that frustrating time. Yes, I didn't enjoy it, and I'd probably do it differently if it were up to me. But it's not up to me. <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's in God's hands that he says, No, you will engage in this season for this purpose. And the purpose being ultimately for his own glory. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about the sovereignty of God, we're not dealing, like you said, we're not dealing with the God of Islam, because Islam talks about the sovereignty of God. But it's a capricious sovereignty. And that's scary. It's very There's no that comfort be scary. in that. Not at all. Like he might do this today and just be like, nah, I don't like you. I'm gonna do this today. It's like it would be akin to knowing that there is somebody who has all kinds of ability to either make your life very easy or to make your life a misery. And the person says, I am going to deploy all my energies to making your life a misery. There's no comfort in that. (laughs) Well, and I was just going to say, I I was just, as you mentioned that I'm looking over the uh, uh, table of contents here and one that's not here. There's not, it's not here. And that's the justice of God. Mm. And that Mm. would there be justice from God if he was capricious? There's Mm -hmm. no justice in capriciousness. No, no, none at all. And it's just like, goes to show again how, you know, even though that attribute, his justice isn't on the list. I mean, it is an attribute of God and Mm -hmm. they all work together. They all fit together snugly with, and, and, and you can't, you can't dissect one without destroying another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this sovereignty, I mean, this is, this one's such a big one and it's, it would be easy to just camp out here and just talk about oh, you, you really could. for so long. I mean, I see, I see people that, um, you know, are, are more reformed this is kind of a frustration I have right now is people who are a little more reformed who, who teach very well on the sovereignty of God. They, they not only believe it, but they teach it and they teach it well. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they read the newspaper or watch the, the, the TV and they see what's going on in the world and start just feeling like stressed out about how things are going yep. and, and whatnot and seeing like how, how can we, live in this situation and constantly lamenting the world that we're in 
and I want to walk up if I, I mean, I, <laughs> I can't physically do it, but I want to walk up and smack them and just say, yep. you're the guy that teaches God's sovereignty. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand. I'm just as stressed as you are about what's going on in the world around us, mm-hmm. but go back to that sovereignty because that's where your rest is. Mm-hmm. That's where your comfort is. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think it's, Burke Parsons, who's now the minister over at St. Andrew's Chapel, where the late Dr. Sproul was, you know, minister for a long time. You know, Burke Parsons years ago tweeted, um, and it's just stuck with me, that, you know, the truth of the sovereignty of God is meant to be a pillow that we rest our heads on, not a rock that we throw at people. Um, And I agree with you. I have to be honest, I have that tendency at times. Yo, I, I think we all do. You. We all do. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm talking about well-known people mm-hmm. that are. Yeah, that, no, I agree. Yo. And I think, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but I think, I, you know, who I'm talking about. I agree. Um, and, and I'll be honest. And, um, and, and I just bring it up to show how easy mm-hmm. it is to lose sight. That's the thing. You know, that's my point. Not to pick on no. this person no, or these people, yeah. but just mm-hmm. to show how easy it is to lose sight mm-hmm. of the, how, no. how this is. This is this is true. This is foundational to our worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we I, and it's yeah. when we lose sight of this that we mm-hmm. start fretting and we start wondering. You know, we get stressed out and we start worrying. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we're we're commanded by Jesus not to worry. Who of you, by worrying, can add one mm-hmm. hour to his life or one hair to his head? You know. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID was in. So for the folks who are listening to this, who knows in the way or future, <laughs> um, there was this really weird thing called COVID-19. <laughs> um, you know, the whole coronavirus thing has been interesting to watch because um, I, don't know, I like I said, I, I know I'm somebody who's very prone to worry and anxiety at times, but I have really struggled to be worried and anxious about this. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, Okay, fine. I'll wear a mask and I generally work from home, so I don't go anywhere anyhow. Like, I'll survive. Um, but yeah, I've seen the hand wringing and the, you know, at times conspiracy theory thinking and all the rest of it. It's just like, I, I, I felt that what you felt as well. It's like, okay, guys, 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 guys. Um, Remember, we we preach a God who is sovereign. Yeah, none of this. He did not fall asleep at the wheel. Can we like stop acting as if he did, please? Mm-hmm. Um, this, if ever, well, there even was, there even was a- bigger than that would be. You know, I live in uh, just outside of Minneapolis, and and we're mm-hmm. kind of coming off the back end of of the riots and hundreds mm-hmm. of businesses burned to the ground, and and now we've got this. Um, as of the date of this recording, it's Saturday, uh, June is it thirteenth. Uh, uh, there's there's a six block area of Seattle that has decided to call itself a sovereign nation and, and yeah. Oh my, <laughs> I read yeah. today that the police are going back in. They, the mayor has deci- has just stated today that the, the police are going back in there, and it sounds like it's coming to an end. But there's rioting all over the country. That I think is easier to um, to to get worried about than because I'm like you with the with the virus. Um, I quickly, you know, or even early on could see, okay, this thing's really mostly affecting um, people who are old and ill. Yes. And so if we can keep it from spreading so that those people have a fighting shot, that would be great. But I'm not worried that it's going to take my life or or yeah. my wife's life or my kids' lives and stuff. So 
but you know, I got to tell myself on a daily basis right now, as I watch and see the rioting and, and, and now, you know, statues being torn down and, um, the talk of, uh, armed insurrection and we're going to take over this country and blah, 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 blah. I mean, that can get worrying, Mm -hmm. but I I daily have to remind myself that I have a worldview that's robust Mm -hmm. and it states that I serve a God who is sovereign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes that's the only thing that brings me real comfort. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's the Heidelberg catechism. I believe in it's, first question it says what's your only comfort in life and death and the answer that it gives begins with that i am not my own that i'm not my own uh-huh. like if that's your if that's the starting point of your worldview that there is a god who is sovereign that i belong to him that i am not you know i am not left to fend for myself in the universe that's going to very radically impact Absolutely. how you view situations like this and that's not to say you shouldn't be con- that's not to say you shouldn't be concerned that's not you know right calling to be laissez-faire and just exactly. uh, right it is what it is no i mean i'll be honest i've been really it does not absolve like, us of responsibility yep yeah i've watched the stuff on the news and been annoyed just been like what kind of nonsense <laughs> but i'm also not it's not depriving me of sleep mm-hmm. um i have a newborn for that <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not depriving me of joy. You know, it's like, no, yes, we live in a world, you know, as the old hymn says, you know, though the wrong seems all so strong, God is the ruler yet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I need to remind myself that, you know, this is my father's world. And so, yeah, these things will happen, but I'm also not freaked out to the degree that, you know, like this becomes like the totality of all I talk about. I'm consumed by all of this. Like, no, like, you know, that's the really popular poster that said, you know, keep calm and carry on. Like <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, we could, I could easily just park on, on sovereignty. Oh yeah. We could be here for hours. Yeah. Easily. But uh, in the interest of not having an hour and a half or two hour long show, we'll, we'll yes. keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. uh, we actually only had two that we pre-discussed that are left mm-hmm. with a third, like if we have time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think we'll go with, uh, let's talk about the decrees of God. Cause it's mm. first on the list. Yeah. The decrees of God. Um, again, not one we, I think we touch on it often, but we don't really take time and think through it. The divine decrees. Uh, so Pastor Pink gives us the definition that, you know, the decree of God is his purpose or determination with respect to future things. So not just that, you know, God has, you know, general control of all things, but that God has laid out that he has mandated specifically how all things, which to us will be future, because again, God doesn't live in time. Mm -hmm. But the way that all things will be, um, the way that Pink puts it is that the decree of the decrees of God, excuse me, relate to all future things without exception. Whatever is done in time was foreordained before time began. God's purpose was concerned with everything, whether great or small, whether good or evil. But with reference to the latter, we must be careful to state that while God is the orderer and controller of sin, he's not the author of it in the same way that he's the author of good. 
sin could not proceed from a holy God by directing positive creation, but only by decretive permission and negative action. God's decree, as comprehensive as his government, extends to all creatures and events. It was concerned about our life and death, about our state in time and our state in eternity. As God works all things after the counsel of his own will, we learn from his works what his counsel is, was, as we judge an architect's plan by inspecting the building erected under his direction. Um, I think that's a good analogy for it. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when we think about the decrees of God, it's not that we can peer into the minds of God and I'll you know, try to stay off my rant about lapsarian positions and how I think they're trying to peer into the mind of God. Um, I'll save that for another episode. But <laughs> um, ultimately, the way that we know God's decree is by looking at the result of that decree in time. You know, I think it's, uh, what's it? Yes, Rabbi John Duncan, the Presbyterian minister in Scotland, who said that, you know, providence is like Hebrew letters. They can only be read backwards. <laughs> um, it's a good way to look at that, that. The way we know God's purpose and determination in relation to future things is when they happen. Which, for some people, be like, okay, that's not really comforting, so I have to wait until it happens? Well, let's reverse engineer this for a second. When things happen, we're able to go back and say, oh, so that's what God decreed. You know, this didn't catch, again, didn't catch God off God. Right. He's not lost of this, you know. Uh, but pay, going back to that thing, yeah. the whole thing about the comfort of the sovereignty of God, we can rest mm-hmm. that because he's sovereign, mm-hmm. we, can re, re, we can rest that whatever becomes of the riots and people listening to this a month from now may have a better picture of that than we have as we're mm-hmm. recording. Um, we can rest that whatever the end is, it has already been decreed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in his sovereignty. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, Pink does a good job of giving us some properties of this divine decree. Mm-hmm. Oh, divine decrees. He says, firstly, the divine decrees are eternal. So to suppose any of them to be made in time is to suppose that some new occasion has occurred, some unforeseen event or combination of circumstances has arisen, which has induced the Most High to form a new resolution. This would argue that the knowledge of the deity is limited and that he grows wiser in the progress of time. And as interesting, Pink says, which would be horrible blasphemy. Mm. (laughs) He's like, no, there is no conception of which God is learning things as time goes on. Yeah, Like God's decrees are eternal. You know, secondly, he says the decrees of God the, are wise. The, I was going to say, you theism know. is not open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, imagine if he were alive today and he was like, seriously, there are evangelicals who believe this. Seriously. <laughs> I can imagine it not going well. Um, second, he says the decrees of God are wise. Wisdom is shown in the selection of the best possible ends and the fittest means to accomplish them. Which again, all these attributes interconnect. If we say that there is a God who has wisdom, supreme wisdom, in fact, then of course he's going to exercise that wisdom in his decree. You know, that's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 11, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How inscrutable are all his ways? You know, it's understanding that, okay, the decree of God doesn't just come from, uh, this might work, this might not, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. No, God is all wise. He's the only wise God. So eternal, wise, third, they're free. You know, Isaiah chapter 40 is what he quotes here. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor has taught him. 
with whom took he counsel and, inst- and who instructed him and who taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. And of course, Isaiah's point is no one did that. No, God was alone. Again, solitariness of God. God was alone when he made his decrees. The only people God consulted was Father, Son, and Spirit himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and his determinations were influenced by no external cause. He was free to decree I'm quoting Pink here. He was free to decree or not to decree, and to decree one thing and not another. This liberty we must ascribe to him who is supreme, independent, and sovereign in all his doings. So, again, he's, you know, his decrees are eternal, they're wise, they're free, and finally they're absolute and unconditional. You know, he does so as he says, the execution of them is not suspended upon any condition which may or may not be performed. In every instance where God has decreed an end, he has also decreed every means to that end. So yes, God's decree is fixed, and yet he doesn't just decree, okay, this is how it's going to go, but uh, how you get there, as long as you get there in the end, it's fine. No, he even decrees the very way in which you get there. And he does that without any sort of conditionality on the part of, you know, the creature or circumstances or anything else. Right. He just has a absolute and unconditional decree, which again, from a comfort perspective, God's purposes for us, his good purposes that we read in the scriptures. You know, I'm preaching through Jude at the moment. And by the time of this recording, tomorrow will be my last Sunday in Jude. You know, and Jude says in Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory. He's again, he says, God's able to do that. Mm-hmm. He says to this God should be glory, majesty, dominion, so on and so forth. It's when we recognize that, okay, God is able not just to decree the end, which is that we would, you know, be kept from stumbling and be able to stand in his presence, but he's able to decree the means by which that takes place. That gives us incredible comfort that, you know, when I'm faltering in my Christian life, when I'm struggling, when there's a big disconnect between what I know and what I believe, when all that takes place, we can still be comforted because God is bringing about his purpose. His purpose for my life as a believer is not conditioned on my ability to stick to the plan as it were because mm-hmm. i didn't come up with the plan god is the one who will ensure that i stick to the plan even my deviations are in the plan <laughs> you know? which is quite comforting yeah absolutely yeah uh so the the last one that we've got as the one that we really wanted to hit on was the holiness of god which will fit mm-hmm. into the next one if we have time yeah no, the holiness of God, the holiness of God. Um, I mean, there's so much that could be said about this. So much. You know, Pink says that the Yeah, like sovereignty, yeah. it's one that we could park on for probably do a whole Yeah, we really could. We really could. Um, R.C. Sproul could write a whole book on it. Which he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we thank God for that book too. It always had a tremendous impact in so many lives. Um, Pink describes holiness as the very excellency of the divine nature. You know, the fact, and he quotes Exodus 15, 11, that God is glorious in holiness. And 
you know, there's two ways we can think about holiness. You know, often we think about holiness and we think about the moral purity aspect of that, mm-hmm. which is definitely part of it with no question. Right. Um, but I think when you read the scriptures, the general essence of that is the separateness of God. Right. The uniqueness of God, that he is completely and utterly separate from all that defiles, from all that darkens, from all that we can know that he is totally and utterly separated from all defilement. You know, um, scripture constantly talks to God about his holiness. And often there's a connection that's made between the holiness of God and beauty, that there is a beauty to God's holiness. So you read the Psalms over and over and over again. It talks about the beauty of God's holiness. Mm -hmm. Um, That reality that, there is a wonderful purity, a pure purity, if you will, that we behold in God. That is so unlike the creature, the, the most holy creature that there could be, will not even come close to touching the holiness of God. And that's something that we should marvel at. You know, we should be able to look at that and say, wow, that's incredible. It is, because... Like you just qualified that we're talking about the most pure of all creation. Now can like uh, compare that to, to where we are here and now that we can't even behold that pure creation, let alone the God far beyond him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 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 And yet, you know, God is good in that he demonstrates his holiness in ways that we can you know, comprehend, Yeah. you know, pink gives a few, he says that, you know, you see God's holiness in his works, you know, uh, Psalm 145 verse 17 says, Yahweh is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. You know, pink says nothing, but what is excellent can proceed from him. Holiness is the rule of all his actions. That whatever God does, God does, in a holy manner, that there is no moral impurity, there is no question mark that you could put next to his acts. He also says that God's holiness is manifested in his law. You know, the fact that God has a perfect moral standard mm-hmm. that he reveals to us is itself a demonstration of his holiness. It's yeah, that's good. that's that's a good thing to, to to ponder and to think about that the law isn't just merely determination that this is how you are to act. It, it it's mm-hmm. a reflection upon who he is. Mm-hmm. I think you see that in Exodus twenty, where you know you have the summary of the you know law of God in the Ten Commandments. Yep. But how does the Ten Commandments start? It starts with "I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt." God's giving of the law starts with the revelation of who he is. Mm-hmm. He says, listen, it's not that Israel didn't know who he was. Israel clearly knew who he was. Right. But he's making it clear. Before we talk about anything else, remember who it is who is telling you this. That Consider the character of the person who is speaking to you in this moment. And so whenever we see God's commandments in Scripture, you know, they are an expression of the, his pure character. I think it's 
Psalm 19 that talks about, you know, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Mm-hmm. The, but why can it be pure? Well, it's pure because it's coming from a God who is himself perfectly pure. So you have manifested in his works, manifested in his law. And I think probably the greatest manifestation of the holiness of God is what we see at the cross. Right. The God so, I think, Pink puts it like this, he says, how hateful must sin be to God for him to punish it to its utmost deserts when it was imputed to his son. Not all the vials of judgment that have that have or shall be poured out upon the wicked world, nor the flaming furnace of a sinner's conscience, nor the irreversible sentence pronounced against the rebellious demons, nor the groans of the damned creatures give such a demonstration of God's hatred of sin as the wrath of God let loose upon his son. Never did divine holiness appear more beautiful and lovely than at the time our Savior's countenance was most marred in the midst of his dying groans. Wow. Like, if you want to, that's a powerfully poetic way to put that. Mm-hmm. The, if you want to see the holiness of God up front, up close, look at what happens at the cross. God says, I see that. Oh, God says to us, rather, you know, see that and see how seriously I take sin. That nothing in history is going to match that outpouring of the holiness of God as what we see on the cross. And yet we benefit from that rather than it's the great moment where the holiness of God you know, throughout the scriptures, people encounter the holiness of God and there is terror. But in the cross, we see the holiness of God and we are called to behold it. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is an, it's an awesome sight in the true sense of the word awesome. And yet, it's a sight that once we see it, we can't take our eyes off of it. And that's a powerful, powerful thought. Absolutely. Yeah, it's... Sorry, it, it it's just leaving me a little speechless. That's why I'm not getting no, quiet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. To see both sides that he's... I can't help but think how much of human history before the cross did people just wonder what kind of predicament they were in mm. before that happened. And then and then the cross happens and, and it's like, watch this. You know, just, just watch this. Mm-hmm. Your sin deserves such, it, it, it deserves the ultimate punishment. It deserves unlimited punishment. Mm. But here's my son would take it upon himself. Yeah. I mean, it's just, sorry. It, it's kind of incomprehensible just how yeah. holy and awesome and sovereign and Mm-hmm. just and that that was mm-hmm. you know every time i think about this you know i'm reminded of another moment where the holiness of god comes into focus um moses at the burning bush you, mm-hmm. you know take off your we feet. read it so yeah we often read it and we skip over that detail yeah in this moment god tells moses 
take your shoes off because the place you're standing is holy ground. It was the side of a mountain, a mountain bush, just not really something worth looking at. Right, nothing. But there's nothing to, special about this to, moment. To Moses, but, nothing special. Exactly, but in this moment, God says, mm, your behavior needs to look different in this moment because God is here. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I'm a big biblical theology guy. I love typology. I can't help but look at that and think, hmm, Moses sees a tree engulfed and the holiness of God is most active in this moment. And we fast forward thousands of years later to another tree engulfed by the holiness of God. Mm -hmm. And that moment is a demonstration of the holiness of God yet again. You know, I agree with you. You have to kind of force it. And then the ultimate conversation or or, uh, consummation is going to be engulfed again mm-hmm. at the end absolutely absolutely and even then we see the holiness of god like i agree with you, you have moments it's like okay yeah i need a minute like, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is intense <laughs> yeah well i yeah. we won't get it in under an hour if we go to this but why not let's let's do the yeah wrath. Let's, let's tackle one more let's do the wrath of god let's finish with the, the wrath, wrath of god of, yeah you know, the wrath of God, um, again, which is necessary culture, with yeah. his holiness. Absolutely. You know, um, again, a topic that our culture seems to find difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating. Um, Pink starts off his chapter on this. Um, he says, it is sad to find so many professing Christians who appear to regard the wrath of God as something for which they need to make an apology, or at least they wish there were no such thing. That's well put. Yeah, like, I think philosophers, the idea of God having wrath, saying, I don't know what to do with that. Well, people, people are so short sighted on the wrath of God. I think, uh I think they, they want to, they want to brush his wrath aside because they don't want to be on on that side of him. They don't want to experience his wrath. And, and, and that's understandable. Uh But just take it one step further and, and ask, Okay, well, well, what about, you know, you, you can just start asking about certain sins. You know, what about, what if this happened to your loved one? What if, what if, what if your mother was murdered? Or what if mm-hmm. your, your child uh, was, you know, had something horrible happened? I don't even need to come up with an example. But then all of a sudden the wrath of God makes sense to people. Because mm-hmm. people have this in, in, innate sense of justice within them that, mm-hmm. that, I mean, they, they need retribution when evils are committed against them. It's mm-hmm. just the disconnect that, well, I've committed evils too. And, and thus I deserve the wrath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I think it's fascinating when I've encountered people who have no problem with the love of God. And yet the wrath of God sounds so repugnant to them. And I'm with you. I've often said, so basically you have a higher moral barometer than god does because god is supposed to see all the evil in the world and not basically feel anything but you see the evil in the world and you're infuriated by it you want justice but god can't right like 
do you not see the problem here? <laughs> well, and then going back to what I was just saying about your your mother is murdered and your desire mm-hmm. for justice. The reason why you desire justice is because you love your mother, right? Mm-hmm. And and you Absolutely. can't divorce wrath from love. Mm-hmm. Wrath is required of love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Pink gives a couple of reasons why Christians should frequently meditate on the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, first, so that our hearts may be duly impressed by God's detestation of sin. We are prone to regard sin lightly, to gloss over its hideousness, to make excuses for it. But the more we ponder and study God's abhorrence of sin and his frightful vengeance upon it, the more likely we are to realize its heinousness. If sin were no big deal, God would not have wrath towards it. Right. And yet he does. Yeah, he does. And that should cause us to think, okay, wait a minute. I think it was, I think it was Spurgeon who said, um, you know, the Christian should not be entertained by the sins for which Christ died. Yeah. You know, which is convicting, it is. Um, so especially in an entertainment-driven society like ours. Right. He didn't have he a, like he didn't have a movie theater when he said that. He didn't have a movie theater. He didn't have Netflix. He didn't have Hulu. He didn't have YouTube. You know, um, where it's all too easy to yeah. be entertained by the very things for which Christ died for. Um, but I think when you're reminded of the wrath of God, that mm, I don't know if I can find this funny when God in heaven is eternally wrathful towards this thing. Mm -hmm. It makes us to think twice. You know, secondly, Pink says, you know, it's good for us to meditate on this, to beget a true fear in our souls for God. And he quotes Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. We cannot serve him acceptably unless to, acceptably, excuse me, unless there is due reverence for his awful majesty and godly fear of his righteous anger. These are best promoted by frequently calling to mind that our God is a consuming fire. And he says, thirdly, the third reason why we should give God praise or we should meditate, excuse me, on the wrath of God is that it draws out our soul in fervent praise for having been delivered from the wrath to come. Absolutely. Back to the cross. Yep. Takes us back to the cross. Like, if that's what, I mean, it was Dr. Sproul who famously wrote a book called um, Saved from Wrath. And he said that, well, all, his premise in the book is that we're saved from God himself. Mm-hmm. That we're saved from the wrath of God himself. And if you're not thinking about the wrath of God, you don't think about how much you've been delivered from. You know, the temptation can be to take you know your salvation very lightly and just say, "Oh, it's no big deal," you know. Yeah. You know, again, it's that very therapeutic way of looking at salvation. You know, there's this God-shaped hole in my heart, and you know, God wanted to fill that hole, and so He sent Jesus so that. Okay. Um. I mean, do I think that there is an innate knowledge of God in all human beings? Yes. And do I think that you know it's the gospel of Christ that fills the answer to that? Absolutely. But let's not lose sight of the fact that the only reason why, you know, the reason why God had to go about it the way he did in punishing his son on the cross 
was because there is a wrath to come. And every time that we are reminded of the wrath of God, we're reminded that that's what we have been. You say the word all the time. I think we lose the meaning of it. We've been saved from that. We've been delivered from that. And that's huge. That's huge. It's everything. Yeah. 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 And I, I've been thinking more and more also, and I, I think the way I'll weave this into the discussion is uh, of, of the warnings that God puts before us in everyday life, mm-hmm. you know, specifically death itself is, is a warning that we're told the reason why there is death is because mm-hmm. of our sin. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, unbelievers like to point to their innocent grandma and ask, well, you know, what about her? Mm-hmm. And their unsaved grandma, you know, the sweet old mm-hmm. lady who made him chocolate chip cookies. Well, not, <laughs> but, but she died. Right. And her, mm-hmm. and her death is proof that she sinned. Mm-hmm. We don't think about that much. We just we think don't, about no. the sweet side of her and she was loving and a, a very pleasant person to be around and uh, whatnot. But, but that, but her death was proof of her sin and all of our death that we all know it's coming. There isn't a person among us, seven and a half billion or whatever we're up to now, mm-hmm. who doesn't have to worry that someday that will come to us too. Mm-hmm. But that's the warning that that's just the foretaste of God's wrath. Absolutely. Yeah. No scripture says the soul that sins will die. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, that's the, you know, it's maybe not the most pleasant thought for us as human beings, but it's an important one. Absolutely. You know, it's something that, you know, we can't, it makes so much, it makes me concerned for so much of our, you know, preaching of the gospel. Yeah. Um, because so often we want to omit the wrath of God part. You can't. And Grant, yeah. You, you, and the thing is, you can't. I mean, granted, no. often, I think the impulse is not always a negative. I think for some people it's, okay, if I talk about the wrath of God, um, it sounds like human anger. And human anger is often irrational, it's uncontrolled, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. But then you have to remember, consider all the attributes of God as being interconnected. Right. Like, there is no sin in God's anger. There is no wrathfulness in God's anger. You know, there's no, not wrathfulness, excuse me. There's no wanton destruction, that's what I want to say, in God's anger. Yeah. It's not that, you know, God is flying off the handle. He's God has never lost his temper a day in his life. And to use the term day in his life doesn't even make sense. But, you know... In all of God's eternity past, his existence now and his eternity in the future, there's never been a time where there has been an uncontrolled, you know, irrational explosion of God's anger. God's anger is always functioning along with his justice, along with his righteousness. We didn't get into the righteousness of God, but his righteousness, his equity, his truth, all of those things are functioning at the same time. So when we talk about the wrath of God in relation to sin, it is the rightful response to man's sin. It's the only logical response. Right. If you are an infinitely good being and you are constantly being wronged, and not just accidentally wronged, but willfully wronged, 
at some point you have to sit there and say, mm-mm, mm-mm. You know, well, only so even, that, even that, there's just so much, there's, there's so many facets to it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's, we're primarily face the wrath of God because we wrong God. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's, that's in and of itself. That's enough. Mm-hmm. But not only is not only that, but when we wrong God, we end up wronging others in the process as well mm-hmm. it, or ourselves in, in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. And, and, and God doesn't just decree or doesn't just declare, you know, this is the way I want you to be just capriciously going back to that. Mm-hmm. He does it because he's good and because he is om- omniscient mm-hmm. and he knows what's, what's good for us. Mm-hmm. And he can see how simply doing one little, what we consider a very minor deed that he says not to do can cascade to the point where we can't control the, the consequences. Mm-hmm. Simply mm-hmm. eating a piece of fruit has cascaded to the point where we can't control the consequences. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it was, it was, it was, it's not just that I told you not to eat the fruit. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it wasn't a capricious or uh, order. Don't, don't eat the fruit. Mm-hmm. It was because he knew all the consequences. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, that's why all these attributes are interconnected. Mm-hmm. You, you always have to, you can't think of them in isolation, you know? Um, right. Well, I wanted to mention I, also yeah. when you were talking about the, the evangelism and, and trying to kind of back off from the wrath of God, that mm-hmm. in doing so you have to back off from the sovereignty of God as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, if we do it the way the Bible tells us to do it and we just rely on his sovereignty, then we've got nothing to be concerned about. And if that person doesn't receive the gospel, then okay, that God, that's what God decreed in the end. Mm-hmm. But um, he's going to use that presentation of his wrath one way or the other. He's going to use that mm-hmm. presentation of the wrath. And there's mm-hmm. a reason why we are pre- commanded that that's how we present the gospel. One way, obviously, is somebody will say, okay, I understand now my sin, and, and I'm, I'm beside myself. I recognize I need a Savior. If that's mm-hmm. not the way it transpires, he can look at them on Judgment Day and say, I told you so. Either way, <laughs> yeah. either yeah. way, he is glorified, and that's the ultimate goal. He gets the glory either because he judged the sin at the cross or because he judges the sin on Judgment mm-hmm. Day. One or the other. He, he gets to judge the sin. Absolutely. 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 Well, you were saying, I think I, we kind of stepped on each other. Mm-hmm. No, I was just saying that um, on that theme of, you know, the attributes of God being interconnected, um, my wife and I have been meeting with a lady who's part of our church for about a year now and we're working our way slowly through systematic theology. Um, and when we got to the attributes of God, um, you know, I know he gets a lot of flack and rightfully so at times, but Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology has a couple of diagrams where he explains the concepts of God's attributes. And he says they're not like, and he has an analogy of a large circle and then inside are a bunch of little circles. He said, that's not how we think about God's attributes. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's like, oh, God contains like, you know, God's kind of like a bucket and you start throwing tennis balls in the bucket. 
you know, he's got some love in there. He's got some justice in there. You know, if you can stomach it, he's got some wrath in there. And you just kind of have all these things that aren't connected, have um, no relationship to each other. Grudem draws another diagram and it has a bunch of lines that are all intersecting within this one circle and says all of God's attributes are happening at all the time and they're all intersecting one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that if there's one thing that I hope our listeners come away with from today is that we've talked about just five and there are so many more you can get into. But as you plumb the depths of this, you start to realize, oh, I can see how, and we've done it a few times here, I can see how this connects with this. Yeah. And I can see how this connects with this. And my hope is that it gives you a big picture of, wow, this is the God that we serve. He is not one dimensional in any sense mm-hmm. that he is so beautifully, fully orbed in a way that we can't even begin to get our heads around accurately. And it's powerful stuff. But even though we can't get our head around it, he wants us, he wants us to try. Yeah. I mean, certainly Absolutely. He, he wants us Absolutely. to know him in, in, in whatever minuscule way we are capable of yes absolutely absolutely well kofi um i feel i kind of feel hungry right now i feel like i just ate a big meal and i'm i'm leaving the table because because really i mean um partially because i didn't do as much homework as i should have to be fair (laughs) but uh partially because every one of these things could be could have been a multi-hour discussion really yeah so so rich so rich yeah yeah so well thanks so much uh as always i i greatly enjoyed the discussion and now i've got ideas i think uh, you know if i can't come up with something in a future episode we can always pick another one of these and just get a little deeper on it oh absolutely absolutely always always a joy to be on with you andy always a great time and i've been encouraged by this i'm I'm thinking we might have to do a series on the attributes of God in our church at some point. <laughs> yeah. Talk about some of this some more because yeah, just always stirring for the soul. Always a blessing. Always. Well, anytime. I mean, that's, that's just the nature of theology really. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to, to get, to get deep into something and, and, mm-hmm. and then a joy to study. And then when you're done with it, there's just, you know, so much more mm-hmm. that, that you'll never get to it all. That's part of the, yeah. the joy I have in looking forward to eternity is knowing that I've got like, you know, eternity to, to continue to, mm-hmm. to learn mm-hmm. about our great and holy God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, Kofi. Oh, pleasure. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 146. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com 146. Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect with Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and I'd love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to Echo Zoe Ministries. Help us also get the word out by sharing or retweeting announcements to your favorite episodes. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the July episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 